And before we get into the Word again, let me pray briefly. And Father, we acknowledge that truth is spiritually apprehended. Father, You can put facts in front of us and we can choose to reject them. Uh, truth is spiritually taken in. And we just ask that Your Spirit would make real the things this morning that You want us to know and appreciate and value about Your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that You would be motivating us to see Christ at not only the center of our life, but the center of our mission in the time You give us on this earth. We pray in His name. Amen. I want to do two things this morning. One is the lesson itself. And the other related to that is sort of, uh, you know, we like to say what's the so what factor when you teach through something in the Bible, so what? What, what do we do with that? aspect of truth or that element of teaching that we go over. And I'll probably speak as much to the so what this morning as I will the text itself. We're going to continue on the On the Road series this morning. So we'll be back in Genesis 28. And if you remember, we've said metaphorically we're joining Jesus on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem that afternoon and evening of His resurrection. We're trying to wrap our hands around just a little bit of the things He said to His disciples there in Luke 24, you guys shouldn't have been surprised because I'm all over the Old Testament, Jesus says. And He took the opportunity in that walk to show them the places He lived in those Old Testament texts and stories. And so we'll be in that this morning. That's one thing that we're doing. The other thing though, because frankly it's the first Sunday of a new year, and because it's a great time to arrest our attention and say as we look forward to a new year, as we look back on an old year, <clears throat> what do we do with that? What do we want to do differently in 2014 perhaps than we did last year? You know, What can we affirm that we did last year? Maybe what do we want to build on for this year? And so I want to speak a little bit at least to this topic of ish, uh, this issue of calling or mission this morning. You know, for Christians in the United States, we have it really good. Uh, we frankly, we're not persecuted the way Christians in other parts of the country, the world, History have been materially. We have lots of good things to eat, and you know, during Sunday school, I'm smelling the stuff going into the cafeteria. You know, we've got potluck afterwards. We have so many great material needs that it's easy to lose a sense of perspective on what does God have for us here on the earth for, besides enjoying the good things He's given us and being husbands and wives and parents and children, all of which is good. Not minimizing any of that. But does God have a larger sense of purpose, mission, and call for each one of us as His children? I want to suggest again this morning, of course, that He does. And so we'll talk about that also out of the text this morning. Let me start, though, by way of introduction. I'm here uh, representing not only Lion Lamb Church this morning, but Southwest Airline and their reward credit card. Now, I've been using Southwest Air's reward card not, I'm serious about this. I'll try and keep us. I'm serious, really. Uh, they gave me these cards and they asked me to represent them. And this is how it goes. So I pass this card out to you after my sales pitch. I pass this card out to you. You want what Southwest Air has. And so you go online to their website and you put my number in. That's key, by the way. That's important. When you sign up for their credit card, just stick with me, guys. I know they're like, where is he going? What is he doing? Just stick with me. Okay. So you'll go online and you'd put my number in on your application. You'd sign up and Southwest Air would give you 25,000 miles for signing up. Absolutely. Alan's with me on this. 
signing up uh, for a new account with them. Now, they'll charge you $99, and you have to charge a certain minimum amount within three months. And this is the deal. You get a great card, a rewards card, and you get to use Southwest Air. Now, a brother in this church turned me on to this a few years ago, and I had flights coming up that I knew I needed cheap travel, right? So I signed up. And they gave me a bunch of miles, and we've used their credit card for everything we can to rack up the miles. So, you know, I've got girls, they're spreading out around the country. So, you know, and Kathy and I, that's part of our budget. So we fly Southwest, and I love Southwest, truly. Use them whenever I can. And now I've got another reason to use them because I've got their reward card, and you can have that too. Now, this came last week in the mail when I was praying about today's teaching. And so I knew God had spoken. And this is, it's as easy as this. See, I just hand you this card. You know, and the, the gate will be burning as soon as the service is over. I just hand you this card, and that's your invitation. Now, before these came, no kidding, when I would talk to other people about travel or finances or the use of credit cards, and I'll give you a caveat here before I finish in just a second, Uh, I would voluntarily tell them about my Southwest rewards card. Seriously. Because I'm like, guys, listen. Southwest is a good airline. They're on time. You know, they get you there and back. It's good. And with the reward cards, we fly pretty much free. So your 25,000 points, that would be round trip one person to the West Coast with change left over. So it's a good deal. So in my conversations with people, really, over the last three years, I've talked about their rewards card in Southwest Air because I'm excited about it. Because I've been saving money and we've been getting where we need to go. And no one has to cajole me to tell them. You see, I'm motivated. I'm excited. I'm on mission for Southwest Air and their reward card. So after service, if you want to see me right up here, I've got six. It's limited to six, okay? Now, see, I've got a mission, don't I? Because I'm enthusiastic about something that has value in my life. Now, a rewards credit card, oh, this is my caveat. You know, we've got a church with lots of conservative financial people. If I don't say this, I'll be in trouble. So this is the deal. I pay my credit card off every month. If you're not careful about the use of credit card, this deal is not for you. You know, some people too, they'll get a credit card and they'll start spending money they wouldn't otherwise spend. So that's not what I'm advocating. We use the credit card for what we buy anyway, put everything on there we can so that we get part of the profit that all the the banks and the financial companies are getting anyway. That's the deal. So, I'm on mission for Southwest because I believe in them, because I've experienced what they have to offer. Now, we know that life is a lot bigger than the use of a credit card or where we're flying, what we're, what we're doing. But this would be my question to you. If someone says to you, as I look forward in 2014, what is my mission from God? What, what is my purpose for being on this earth? If you're a Christian today and you die, you're going to heaven. So any day for us could be a good day to die, right? I, what's the worst that can happen to me today? I die and go to heaven. I see Jesus. That's a pretty good day. That's the worst that could happen, right? But what if you're not a Christian? What's the worst that can happen? I could die today and not go to heaven. That would be the worst that could happen. In other words, do we see past our potluck meals and our homes, and our cars, and our IRAs, and the lifestyles which we like and appreciate. And I'm for all this good lifestyle and good food. 
I feel blessed. I got up Saturday morning and I just thought in my quiet time, Lord, I am so blessed. I just feel so encouraged by His grace and goodness to me and my wife and family and just a home and all that stuff. That's great. But this is the problem. Sometimes the temptation is to allow what's good, and those are all good gifts from God, to sort of cloud over the the greater or the more important things that God wants us to be aware of. And, And that's what I want to get to this morning. That God has more for us to do in our time on the earth than enjoy the good things He gives us. So ask yourself this this morning. Do I have a mission, a sense of purpose and call between God and me that's big enough to direct the smaller decisions I make in life? Do I have a moral compass, not just by which I make decisions about what I do for myself, right or wrong, but by which I make decisions about how I'm choosing to spend my time and money and energies? Am I on mission from God? And if I'm not, why not? Again, a good day for us, die and go to heaven. So God's left us here though, today and probably tomorrow, next week. So what's He got us here for? There's a number of answers probably that would suit that. I'll suggest one specific one as we wind down. So hold that if you would and turn to Genesis 28. Genesis 28 As we're thinking about that road to Emmaus and Jesus looking back and pointing Himself out, Genesis 28 is a key passage along that line. Now, let me just bring you up to speed. We'll start at verse 10. But in this story, Genesis 28, Jacob is fleeing his angry brother Esau and he's going to look for a wife as well. See, he's tricked his brother, right? And his father... He's got the older brother Esau's blessing and birthright, and Esau's not very pleased with him. And and Isaac has blessed him anyway, but Isaac and Rebekah have said, we don't want you to take one of the girls from around here. We want you to get a wife. We want you to head back where Rebekah's come from. See her family, Bethuel and Nahor, back there around Haran. Go back where Abraham came from and get a wife. And by the way, hopefully by the time you come back, Esau will have cooled his heels. Things will be okay. So that's where we pick up. Here at verse 10. So Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord... In your Bibles, that should be all capital letters, and that means that's a transliteration for the word Yahweh or Jehovah. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now just to make sure, God here is transferring the Abrahamic covenant and promise to Jacob. Jacob tricked Isaac and Esau to get things he wanted, but here God is distinctly giving Jacob the covenant and the promise he'd given earlier to both Isaac and Abraham. Verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, 
and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And Guys, this would be an act of worship. He doesn't have time to build an altar and offer an animal sacrifice, but he stands that stone up and he pours oil as an, as an act of offering to God. He called the name of that place Bethel. And Bethel, just literally two words, house of God, the house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. The stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. By the way, just related to Jacob's character, you note that here's a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who cannot lie, making an unconditional covenant promise to Jacob. And Jacob gives a conditional promise back to God. Interesting, he, his life hasn't been turned around yet the way God will in the future. But go back to Jacob's dream, his vision, and look at the key elements of this. And this is what I want you sort of to see in your mind's eye. So Jacob's asleep, and he gets this vision, and this is what he sees. He sees heaven opened. And God, Yahweh, is standing at the top. Heaven's opened. God's at the top. And between heaven and earth, there's this ladder. And on that ladder, angels are going up and coming down. So if you're a science fiction fan, this would be like a stargate. Or this would be like a divine escalator. This is a, a portal that reaches from earth to heaven. And remember, heaven, it's hard to, to think about sort of space-time with heaven, isn't it? In other words, if we look with a telescope out in space, do we see heaven? Well, we don't. We, we see space and space and more space, but we don't see heaven. So we would say this is kind of extra-dimensional, isn't it? That there would be a ladder that Jacob with his own limited eyesight could actually see to the top, and at the top he would see heaven. And heaven's opened, and God is speaking from heaven opened up to His sight. And the ladder's there, and angels, God's messengers, right? His servants, they're going up the ladder, they're coming down the ladder. And that's why Jacob calls this place Bethel, the house of God. Now Bethel, if you check in your Bibles, you'll see this is significant. Uh, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, when he was coming down from Haran, he stopped at. Bethel, and he built an altar, and he worshiped God on his way into the land of promise. And here's Jacob doing exactly the opposite, going out of the land of promise, stopping at the same place, putting up that stone, pouring oil on it, an act of offering and worship to God, as he heads back out of the land of promise. So this is also the place that Abraham will come back to after he goes down into Egypt. And later, unfortunately, here it's got this rich early history where the patriarchs are stopping and they're worshiping and we call it God's house. Later on, you'll see Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom, will make it a place of idolatry. In fact, it will become infamous for idolatry. They'll set up a golden calf there. But 
Jacob says, this is God's house because God has opened Himself to me. He's spoken to me here in this place. So this would be cool all by itself, right? Because God has spoken singularly to Jacob and He knows whatever I stole from my dad, lied and cheated for, whatever I tricked my brother about, God Almighty, Yahweh Himself, has spoken to me and given me the covenant and the promise. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't it neat? I mean, even today we talk about the patriarchs. We say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this was unique. This was important all on its own. But if you would, turn to John 1. The reason we connect this to Jesus is because Jesus does. If you go to John 1... The first half of John's Gospel, chapter 1, John's really given us rich theology and he's talking about the Word and the the Word made the world and Jesus is the Word and there's light and darkness. But towards the second part of that first chapter, he starts introducing us to his disciples. And towards the end of chapter 1, Philip has come to follow Jesus. And he's gone and he's talked to his friend Nathaniel and he says, hey, we found the one Moses talked about. Jesus from Nazareth. You've got to come and check him out. So Nathaniel says of Jesus, can any good thing come out of Galilee? Up north, it's kind of like the hicks and the sticks. Can any good thing really come from there? So as Nathaniel is approaching Jesus, Jesus comments on Nathaniel and he says, this is a real Israelite in whom there's no guile. Uh, this guy says it like it is. He gives you what he really thinks, like can any good thing come out of Galilee? So when Jesus comments to Nathanael about what kind of a guy he is. He says, well, how do you know that? And so Jesus says, well, before Philip came and got you, I saw you sitting under that fig tree. Now, Nathanael knows Jesus could not have physically seen him sitting under that fig tree. So he knows Jesus has knowledge that's not limited to space or time. So Nathanael says, wow... You're the deal. So, verse 49, John 1, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? In other words, this is a minor thing to Jesus. You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now we know where that's from, don't we? Because that's Jacob's ladder. That's Genesis 28, exactly. So for Jacob, the ladder was the place at which he saw heaven connected to earth. And at the top of that ladder was God. Heaven opened and God's there. Could be seen, could be heard. Now, Jesus takes that language and he says, Nathaniel, I am Jacob's ladder. The angels of God, they ascend and descend on me. Now, this is important for us theologically, isn't it? And you know, almost no matter how you look at Jesus in the incarnation, you always keep coming back to this thing that Jesus is the only hope of humanity to be restored to heaven. You just keep coming back to this singularity. Jesus says, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the connection between heaven and earth. 
If you want to see God the Father in heaven, you've got to come through Jesus the Son. He is the latter. Or it's through Jesus that all of heaven's communications take place. If you think of angels, that just means messenger. That the messages from heaven come and go based on the person, and we would say ultimately the work, of Jesus Himself. So Jesus says that Jacob's ladder was a picture of Him. That He would be the greater, the more real version of the connection between heaven and earth. And so you've got that imagery from Genesis 28, a connection point between earth and heaven. It's the means by which heaven communicates with earth and vice versa. And God's at the top of it. So, And just listen to a few other verses. Jesus here says, I am the ladder. I am the means by which earth can communicate with heaven and heaven with earth. I am the means by which people can see God in heaven. If you turn the page to John 3.13, Jesus there says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The same words, ascending and descending, going up and coming back down. Jesus used the same imagery later. If you go over another couple of chapters to John chapter 6, this is called the Bread of Life Discourse, and I'll just mention this for time's sake. But you've got the same language about this thing going up and coming down. Going up and coming down. Four times in the later part of chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life that's come down. I've descended from heaven. You see, two times Jesus talking about, I'm the one who will bring about resurrection life. I'll bring you up. I came down. I'll bring you up. In verse 62, He says, you'll see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before. So in John 6, it's similar imagery, the bread that came down or descended, and the Son of Man that goes up or ascends also. So Jesus keeps applying Himself the imagery of Jacob's ladder. Connected to Him, there's this imagery of going down to the earth and going back up. Turn to Mark 1. This is perhaps graphically in the narrative itself. Uh, as you see this in your mind's eye, this is very much tied to Jacob's ladder as well. But Mark 1, and this is the same story, by the way, in Matthew and Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. Mark 1, verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, He saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon Him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in You I am well pleased. You see exactly the same imagery, don't you? Jesus is there on the earth. It's like the base of the ladder. The heavens are open. God the Father stands in heaven. The Spirit of God descends like a dove. Again, this connection between heaven and earth on the person of Jesus. And the voice of God, just like it was in Jacob's dream, the voice of God from heaven speaks down to Jesus and says, He is the one. He's the one in whom I'm pleased. But you have exactly the same imagery from Genesis 28. If you go to Acts 1, verse 9, you see more of the same imagery of ascension rising up. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And He spent some time with His disciples. He's told them to wait for the promise of the Spirit that would come on them in Jerusalem. And then in Acts 1, verse 9, 
after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This We call this the ascension. But you see here again this picture of Jesus like the angels in Genesis 28 ascending back up to heaven. Turn a few chapters later into Acts 7. This is the end of Stephen's story. And if you remember, uh, the deacon, one of the first deacons, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, uh, Stephen is brought before the same group of leaders that had condemned Jesus. And they're going to do the same thing to Stephen, even though all he tells them is the truth. And as they take Stephen out and stone him towards the end of chapter 7, verse 55, he's being stoned to death. But he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Exactly the same imagery again. Isn't this neat? Uh, Is this passage in part, when I used to tell my wife as a new husband, you know, I'd, I'd like to go out as a martyr. I'm thinking of Stephen. I'm thinking, heaven's open and I see God, I hear His voice. You know, she didn't want to hear that you know, back in the day. Um, but it's the same imagery, isn't it? That there is, an interesting here, isn't it? That it's Jesus that Stephen sees in the opened heavens. You know, we said in Jacob's ladders, clearly God, it's Yahweh there at the top. Well, here it's Jesus at the top as heaven is opened. And there is Stephen on the earth. It's just like Jacob again. I see heavens open and I see Yahweh. I see Jesus this time. I'll just reference uh, Revelation 19.11. The phrase is used again. The heavens were opened. And what do we see? We see one who's called faithful, the Word of God. He's on a white horse. He's getting ready to come back to the earth, the Lord Jesus. I'll just reference to Romans 10.5-13 and Ephesians 4. 7 through 10 also bring up the language, and this is from later on in the Pentateuch. This is language from Moses, but it talks about ascending and descending. Ascending and descending in both of those contexts related to Jesus. So Jesus takes that vision from Jacob's life, Jacob's ladder, and he says, I'm the ladder. I'm the means that connects heaven to earth. It's on me that all of heaven's communications take place. So, summarizing. It's through Jesus that God speaks to those on the earth. When heaven speaks, it's on, it's through, it's by Jesus, called not accidentally the Word of God. Jesus is the bread of life that comes down to feed us. Jesus is the Son of Man who goes up to be received as King. This isn't in your study, but in Daniel 7, and this is why he uses this phrase in John 1, The Son of Man is a term that comes from Daniel 7. And again, you see this picture of ascension, that the Son of Man ascends to the throne of the Ancient of Days in heaven to receive the eternal kingdom. That's on play here as well. Jesus is the image of God visible when heaven is open. Jesus descended in the incarnation. He ascended both in the resurrection and there in Acts 1 from the Mount of Olives back to heaven. Jesus will descend again in the second coming and He'll take all the redeemed back up to the new heaven and new earth. Down and up, down and up. You see that imagery of the ladder again and again and again. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.5 is more of a relational association, but in that context, Paul says that there's one God 
And there's one mediator, a person in the middle, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's the same thing. Paul says theologically and relationally, if you want to get to God, you've got to go through Jesus. John 14.6 is another way of saying it. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. So, the exclusivity of the Gospel. Jesus says, I'm Jacob's ladder. If you want to get to heaven, you come through Me. All that God does on the earth, it's through the connection that I provide. Now, turn briefly, if you would, back to Genesis 11. So I read Genesis 28 and I'm excited. I love the passage and I love Jesus' use of it. And it's another way for me to think or see what God is doing on the earth through Jesus. Guys, this is the thing though. Jacob's ladder, Jesus, that's God's provision in connecting heaven with earth. Jacob's ladder, Jesus, is God's provision to span the otherwise unspannable chasm between heaven and earth, between us and a holy and righteous God. But this is the, the case. You know that it's not that we haven't tried spanning the chasm between earth and heaven, and our attempt started early. So if you look in Genesis 11, God had told mankind after the flood to spread across the earth and to fill it up and to subdue it. But people didn't want to do that. And they felt vulnerable. And they thought they had a better idea. And the thinking was, you know what? If we get behind a really good leader like Nimrod, the strong, powerful guy, and we band ourselves together, we could make a city. And we could build a tower. In fact, we could build a tower that would reach to heaven. And you know what they were probably building was what we would call a ziggurat. You know what a ziggurat? Not a pyramid. But a ziggurat looks like stair steps, doesn't it? So at a distance, if you saw the Tower of Babel, what would it look like? It would look like a ladder going up to heaven the higher they got. Think of the burge in the Middle East today, you know, lost in the clouds on some days, tallest building in the world. But the Tower of Babel visually would have looked like a stairway to heaven. And guys, the Tower of Babel represents mankind's attempt to span the unspannable chasm between earth and heaven. Matter of fact, you'll see Babel and Babylon go right through to the end of the Bible to Revelation 17 and 18 before you see man's attempt at religion spanning that gap is destroyed by God in Revelation 17 and 18. But the spirit of Babel and Babylon lives on in all our religious efforts. Babel was man's idea of how to achieve connection, reconnection with God. Babel was man's attempt to get from earth to heaven. And that represents all the religious ways we try to go about restoring a relationship with God or covering our own sins. And they are all absolutely inadequate. But boy, we have them, don't we? And you know, this is true whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, by the way. You know, if we're clear on the Gospel that Jesus is the only hope of sinners to reach heaven, that's good. That's a good place, right? When we believe the Gospel, Jesus has come down. He's descended in the Incarnation. He's become the propitiation for our sin. 
In His death on the cross, His death, His blood shed, covers our sin. And by God's grace, He's been offered for us. And by simple faith, we accept that. That's the Gospel, right? Bad news, we're lost. The good news, Jesus has found us. He's paid for our sin. He redeems us and gives us life. The good news. But isn't it true for us as Christians too? Don't you find that having been redeemed in Christ, don't you find your own thoughts often going back to saying, how can I be a better person to find greater acceptance with either God or the people around me? I was reading in Matthew 6 in my quiet times this last week, uh, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. That's religion, isn't it? That's that if I can get you to think well of me, I'll feel better about myself. And maybe God will think more highly of me. But we all know we're fractured and broken, and there's religious attempts to do that. That's what we come up with. And that's all the religions of the world, by the way. You know, the Gospel is the only message on the earth that says it's not what you can do for God, it's what God has done for you in Christ. It's singular again. But Babel was man's attempt to span the gap, the chasm between earth and heaven. And we can fall into the error if we're not saved, if we haven't come to Christ through faith, of thinking we're going to do something good that will maybe get us partway up that ladder. Jesus says, no, you can't get there. But I can get there. I can make that connection for you. That's good. But as Christians, we need to remember as well, it's not works of righteousness that we're performing today. You remember the whole letter to the Galatians is about a group of people who heard the Gospel and believed, but then they said, now we're going to work our way up to this spiritual plateau, or we're going to bring about our own works of righteousness now that we're Christians and saved. Paul says, no, no, no. You begin by faith, and you grow by faith. And it's love and it's faith working together. That's the call of the Gospel. And it's easy for us as Christians to forget that. I love in Genesis 35, and we won't go there this morning, but in Genesis 35, Jacob brings his tribe, his wives, his concubines, his children, you know, all his herds, he brings them back to the land of promise. And when he's going around in the land for a while, God says, hey, Jacob, hey, go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where you first got to know me, where I called your name and you heard my voice from heaven and you saw me. I want you to go back to Bethel, Jacob. Do you know what Jacob says to his family and his friends there? Do you remember the story? It's very interesting. He's not ready to go back to Bethel because you know what's happened? They've accumulated idols along the way. So when God calls Jacob to go back to Bethel, the place that God and Jacob had met, Jacob's first thought is, man, I'm not ready. Because when God calls me and I'm going to go back and I'm going to see Him and hear His voice again, I realize we've accumulated all these idols in our travels. And so when we think of that the Gospel being presented to us the first time or the first time we got the truth or maybe even after our conversion where God spoke and we got it, those are clarifying moments, aren't they? And we realize it's heaven that's connected to earth. We haven't done anything. For God, have we? No, God's done it all for us. So in Jacob's case, Genesis 35, back to Bethel means repentance. It means I, I'm reminded of the sins I've accumulated, the idols I've, I've accumulated, and I say to God, man, I've got to get rid of those things so I can hear from God again. Bethel and Jacob's ladder, the same thing. Now, this is the thing. 
If Jesus is in fact who and what He said He was and is, if He is in fact the sole means by which men on earth may be reunited spiritually with heaven and later physically with heaven in the resurrection, if that's the truth, what does that mean for you and I? You know, again, I say if I die today, it's a good day because I'm going to heaven. I've got glory forever. Easy. I'm ready. You know, take me. Beam me up. But is that true of everyone around us? Probably not. Family, friends, relatives, neighbors, fellow workers, fellow students. Does God have mission for you and I on the earth? I think He does. Let me just tell you some of the things God is doing narrowly here. I think you have this on your study sheet. In Matthew 16, 18, when Peter said to Jesus, I know who you are, you're the Messiah of God, Jesus responded and said, you're Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Gates of hell won't prevail against it. One of the things God is doing in the earth today, He's building His church. That's what Jesus is doing. He's building His church. The church is not a building. It's not a structure. It's people that are brought in, right? The Gospel is preached. They believe and they're added to the church. For Jesus to build His church means the Gospel is proclaimed and people believe. Are we building Jesus' church with Him? That's what He's doing. That's His mission on the earth today is building His church. Is that part of what we're doing? Now we can talk about discipleship also. I want to keep this fairly narrow this morning. John 4.23, Jesus told the woman at the well that the Father is looking for worshipers. Those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. Can an unbeliever worship God in spirit and truth? Can't happen. What does that mean? God the Father is looking for people to come to Christ through faith and become His worshipers. What does this presuppose again? The preaching of the Gospel. Acts 15.14, you know, the early church, they were all Jews, weren't they? But then these guys slip out and they go up to Antioch and they preach the message. And guess what? Gentiles believe. And suddenly the Jewish church is wondering, what in the world do we do about this? And so in Acts 15, they get together to talk about it. And they say in the course of their conversation, God is taking from among the Gentiles a people for His own name. Do you know that's exactly what God's still doing today? By the way, most of us are Gentiles, aren't we? Probably very few of us with Jewish ethnicity in our blood. That's still what God is doing today. He's taking out from among the Gentiles a people for His own name. Is that what we're about too? And last, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Peter said the day will come when people will say, gosh, Jesus said He was going to come back, but it's been a long time and I don't see Him lately. You know, what, what about that? And Peter says, well, this is the thing. God's not slow about keeping that promise, but He's patient. And the reason he's patient is because God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance and faith, to come to life. So if I say to God, Lord, why would you give me today on the earth or tomorrow or next week or next month? Part of that's probably because he intends to use me and to use you as his proclamation, as his voice to tell others that there's but one way to be reunited with heaven, there is but one connection, one link, one portal, one ladder that can get you from earth to heaven. It's the person of Jesus. When was the last time you talked 
clearly about the Gospel with someone else? When was the last time that happened? Just think for a moment. When was the last time you just invited someone to church? You know, back in the day, this is generationally, this has changed, but back in the day, nice people went to church because that was the thing nice people did. That is not the case today. I mean, the generation has definitely changed. Uh, Going to church isn't the deal, but I will often invite people to church because it's a way to get them in where they'll hear the Scriptures. And they'll be in a, a meeting where the Spirit of God is present as we gather together as people of faith and as we worship. They'll be present for that and the Spirit is present. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, when the Spirit's at work in your meeting, they will say, God is in your midst. Well, that's an affirmation for the truth of the Gospel. But see, is that what we're doing? And I'm just so convinced of this. We get lost in the good things God gives us in life and we forget what mission we're called to. Now, I know as families, we're really proactive about sharing the Gospel and the faith with our children. That's a good thing. And I'm all for that. But are we as individuals and as families and as a church Do we see it also as our mission to be God's voice? By the way, the Spirit in the church, this is Christ on the earth today. Heaven is connected to the earth today by the Holy Spirit in believers in the church. Are we building the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ today, by simply affirming the message of the Gospel that Jacob's ladder was the real connection from heaven to earth and Jesus is that ladder? And if you're on that ladder you're good and you've seen God and God's spoken to you and He's given you that covenant promise. Your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. Is that what we're doing? Do we have mission? And this is where I want to go. This is why the cheesy opening with my Southwest card, which seriously, I will give you one if you want one after the service. But it's this. There are stacks of line and lamb church business cards on the information table in the back. Stacks of 12. And this is just my proposal. This is a simple way of doing things. You know, if we say, go do something that seems ephemeral or ethereal, we're not sure, what does that mean? What, how do I do that? Here's just a way, a mechanic, if you will, to do what I'm suggesting, to be part of what God's doing on Mission on the Earth. Uh, take a stack, if you pray about it, feel led, I'm serious about this, don't take them if you don't want them. Take a stack of 12 cards and just pray, put the onus on God and say, Lord, would you give me one opportunity a month to invite someone to church? And again, it's not because going to church is special. It's because we hope that with the witness of the Spirit and other believers and the preaching of the Word, that as someone comes in, they hear the truth affirmed. And God will use that for them. One card a month to hand out just to invite someone to church. That's easy to do. By the way, most people don't take offense if you just invite them to church they might look at you strange i I did this uh i did this not long ago and the guy says i'll give that to my wife i said well you could come too Uh, i handed one of these out at sam's uh friday handed one out yesterday at pt's coffee shop it's easy because people aren't offended guys this is a very very easy thing to do just invite someone to church No onus on us, Lord, would you provide that divine appointment, the opportunity, so that I'll see it and I can invite someone to church. Now, going a step further, a bit bolder, 
Pray also that one card a month, I can pass out one card a month and have a conversation about Christ with someone else. Now I know, now we're on thin ice, aren't we? You know Christians are terrified of sharing the gospel? We are terrified of talking to others about Christ. I'm serious. It's crazy, but we are. So, ask God, I'm serious about this too, that the onus is on God, not on us. We say, Lord, we're here and we're available. And would you give me an opportunity to talk to someone else this month about Christ? And by the way, we use these cards. This is strategic and these have been available for a long time whether you've used them or not. The church meeting place and time is on the front and the website. Friends, I know most people I invite to church, they never come. But guess what I know? They've got a website they can go to. They can hear teachings. They can hear the truth. The Gospel's on the back. There's three verses on the back of this that represent the Gospel. So when I hand these out, whatever I can say or not say, I've covered some bases with that person. Uh, Because we're terrified of sharing the Gospel, we shouldn't be, but we are. You know, if you see little teeny children and they're really excited about something, do you have to guess if they're excited? No guessing about it. It's just express, isn't it? Uh, If they're mad, you know it right now, right? They don't hide their emotions. And you know why that is? Because at this stage of development, they lack a certain kind of self-awareness. So whatever's going on, they just they let it out. Well, you know, there's a really healthy side of that, isn't there? Don't we love it to see little kids, especially if they're happy? Especially if they're happy. Uh, because it just draws you in, doesn't it? But what happens as those children grow? Now, most of this is necessary and it's appropriate, isn't it? But as those children grow, their awareness of the world around them and their place in it, that grows too, doesn't it? But what's part of the downside of that? Because we're all fractured as we grow, we realize some people won't like it when I get excited about this thing. Some people won't be happy with me they won't affirm me if they see me mad or sad and so don't we start shaping the way we present ourselves to others based on whether or not they're going to affirm us they're going to accept us well that happens to christians too you know when i was a brand new christian and didn't know up from down except that i was saved and going to heaven and the scriptures started taking on new meaning i was sharing with my partying friends i was in the midst of my parties I was sharing the gospel with my friends. I I didn't know any better yet about what I shouldn't be doing, but I knew what I was excited about. You didn't have to cajole me. You didn't have to tell me to. It was coming out of me. But what happens over time? I start realizing my friends really aren't interested in where I'm going here. You know, especially when I quit smoking pot, quit quit, uh, alcoholic debaucheries, all that stuff. They don't like me the way they used to. And I'll be easy on my friends. Most of them remain friends to this day, whether or not they're Christians or not. But then it's like, oh yeah, now if I share the Gospel, well, they might be like my friends. They they may not like that. You know, worst of all for us, isn't it? Someone might think I'm intolerant. Man, I'm going to go home, you know, with my tail between my legs, right? I'm intolerant. Uh, What is it that keeps us from sharing the Gospel with others? And this is what I mean. Southwest Air, I really like their airline. And I really use their card. So I'm really motivated. And I don't care if you use them or not at the end of the day. I'll still tell you about them. What we want to do is combine the childlike enthusiasm, what God has done for us and in us, and the ways in which we've seen God at work in the lives of others. We want to bring that with the grown-up wisdom about what's going on in the world 
and a spiritual discernment about how God might want to be working in a particular person's life, we want to bring those back together and then we want to get on mission. We want to have those conversations with others about Christ. And did you know there's a heaven and there's a hell and there's but one way that links earth to heaven and has anyone told you about that? That's mission. That's purpose. That's call. And guys, I know it's threatening. And I'll tell you something else. It requires a little bit of spiritual energy. You know what's really easy to do? It's really easy to yawn and say, oh, I'll do, I'll do that later. You know where the, the uh, opportunity is presented in front of me and I say, oh, you know, not, not, I'll do that later. I'm not sure I could have enough time or I don't know if I can make the transition in the conversation, you know, when it's right in front of me. But let me just suggest for 2014, mission from God for us, Jacob's ladder, Jesus' ladder, there's but one way that connects heaven to earth. What about just praying and asking God, Lord, would you use me this month to invite someone to church while they hear more about you? And would you give me the opportunity to have one conversation a month with somebody about something that matters eternally? Give me one opportunity to talk to someone else about Christ. And let me suggest this too. If you do this, pick up some cards. If we run out, get some next week. And just pray. The onus is on God, not on you. And if you find this, if you say, God gave me the opportunity and I blew it. I swallowed hard and I didn't do it. Then I'd say, you're in good company. That's me. More than once. Uh, Get up. Confess, Lord, sorry I blew that one. Would you, would you give me another opportunity? That's all I'm suggesting. Just enough to raise our vision up. What is God doing on the earth and how does He want to use us in doing it? That's one way. You might have others, but that's a simple way to do it. Jesus is the only way to be redeemed, to go to heaven, to hear from heaven. And if we believe that, should we not? be communicating that to others? Should we not be saying, Jesus is it, not Babel? There is a way to heaven, and Jesus is it. Father, would You give us the courage of our convictions in salvation? I know that most of us here have trusted Your Son. We're confident that if we died today, we would see Your face in heaven, be joined with You. God, would You give us the confidence to simply engage others in the name of Your Son? Would you help us to see that we are on mission from heaven, commissioned, Jesus said in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all the nations. God, would you help us to do that in our backyard? Lord, would you show us those people that we can interact with to bless by inviting them to church, to a service where where they will hear your word and Lord, where they will be encouraged by the the worship that goes up from the saints, the body of Christ. Lord, would you give us those divine appointments and opportunities just to talk to someone else about the thing that has mattered most in our own life, the transformation that's come about in us because we've recognized in Christ by your grace, Lord, by the work of your Spirit, our need for Jesus, the one that links heaven and earth. And Lord, we glorify you now in his name. Amen.